It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. Why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all a work in progress. I'm your host, Rob Commodore. I'm also the author of the book, Better Than You Think. And today I have a guest and a good friend of mine, Carl Miller from Lynchburg, Virginia. Is that correct? Did I get that right, Carl? You got it, Rob. So Carl is, is a, another friend of mine in the real estate world, and, and he is a hardworking guy. And there's something, like I, every time I talk to Carl, every time I see him, call him, see him in person, whatever the case is, I'll say, Carl, how you doing? And Carl, what's that response? Hey, Rob, I'm blessed, man. It's good to see you, Rob. <laughs> and I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Carl was actually the, the inspiration to one of my chapters in the book called Blessings. The title of that chapter is Blessings. And it just it struck a chord with me that a lot of people will say, you know, I'm doing OK, I'm doing great. Or you know, the, the, the wine complain or whatever the case may be. But Carl would consistently every time I'd ask him, I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed yeah. man. So, Carl, I really appreciate that. And thank you for that inspiration. And, and so I'm going to ask you, why are you so blessed? Oh, man, Robert, are you kidding? We, we live in America, man. We live in the United States of America. We're, we're so fortunate. Like we, we take the blessings we have surrounding us every day. We just take them for granted because it's just the environment we live in. It's, it's kind of that old analogy of, you know, a fish in the water is the last person, last thing to realize it's in the water. And when you get out and travel outside of the United States and you see real poverty and you see opportunities that some of the hardest working people you you interviewed uh, Scott Wurzbacher in the past, I believe, on this show, or we've yeah. been together. Scott Wurzbacher is a friend of mine. He was my climbing buddy in Tanzania. We were there earlier this year in February. And you go to a country like Tanzania and you realize that the average hardworking person is making two dollars a day and, and will never get ahead economically. I, I'm reminded of when I, I was traveling years back I, I was in morocco north africa and just the greatest hard-working taxi cab driver ever who's uh, a, a group of guys we were we were hiking in the high atlas mountains and he was taking us on a 10-hour trek to the city of uh, marrakesh and we just had the greatest conversation in the van and i remember asking him you know hey do you you ever want to come and visit america he's like oh i would love to go visit america well, i said you should just come just be flippantly just off the top of my head man you should come visit us and he got this sad look in his eyes. He says, I will never be able to come to America. And it, not, not, not because of a skills, not because of a lack of emotional intelligence or English speaking. He literally has no money, right? And it's stuff we take for granted that if you don't have money, you can find a way to make money here in America. Just for example, my goodness, you, you travel outside and you realize how blessed we are that we can take our talent, skills, and abilities. We can grow. We can get better. And, and honestly, the resources that are surrounding us and the ability to gather those resources with just doing things right. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unprecedented. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that piece. And while you mentioned the word travel, you mentioned, you talked about Scott Wurzbacher, the, the, the hike that you did to Kilimanjaro, right? Right. Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I got to imagine, cause I, you had asked me to go on that hike and it's unfortunately it couldn't work out for me because I would love to go on there. And I just envisioned this incredible journey. And I knew it was probably tough too, but yeah. what was it like when you got to the top of that mountain? Oh man, that was, it was pretty emotional. It was an emotional event just to get to the summit because you work really hard to get there. And, and I've experienced emotions like that and doing other hard things physically, whether it's, you know, running an ultra, you know, I know you've got a son that did an Ironman recently and, you know, you see the emotion that, that hits you when you accomplish a big goal like that. And this was something that we worked up for. 
Um, but there was, I actually got a hold, this is a different topic, but you know, I, we did some reflection time. What are, what are 10 life lessons we learned about climbing Kilimanjaro? And, you know, one of, one of those things that, uh, that I learned was when you do hard things, you know, and you put the effort in and do hard things. And then you, when you hit that reward, it's, it's a pretty powerful moment. And of course the air is thin. So our brains were a little muddled up there, but I'll tell you what, that was, that was pretty amazing. That sun was coming, it was up by then and we had climbed all night and, just getting to the summit of that really high mountain and the breathtaking beauty of God's creation, just being at the top of the highest mountain in Africa. Yeah. That's, that's something that's kind of hard to put into words. It was, it was a very emotional moment. It's something you had to, had to be there for Rob. Yeah. And I can see the glow in your face. Cause I, I'm seeing, you know, Carl on the, on the screen here. And I was going to ask you about that, like the view. So yeah. yeah, it was hard work. Yeah. It was big goal when you got to it, but it, it was like, and I, I bring this up as far as this mm -hmm. blessing piece because you got to that top of the mountain and I envisioned mm -hmm. what it might look like. So I, and I wasn't there, obviously. But when you got there, was there just like this aweness about it? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's it's almost a spiritual experience. You know, you, you put the effort in and then you it's just it's just kind of hard to describe. And I, and honestly, I, I had a kind of a moment when I was hiking up that on the mountain because you, you hike all night. It was really cold. It was windy. And, it, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, it was probably about four o'clock in the morning. The sun is maybe three o'clock in the morning. Sun, sun wasn't up yet. It wasn't daylight. And I remember just sitting on this rock and I think just putting the effort in and I was having trouble get, getting enough oxygen, you know, and just sitting on a rock. And I remember just sort of, I didn't intend to start crying, but my shoulders just started shaking. The next thing I know, I'm just bawling. Like I'm just crying, man. And uh, my guide came over and said, Carl, Carl, are you okay? It's like, yeah. And he was, he's checking my headband to make sure that, you know, I'm not too tight and not getting a headache. Cause I did have a little headache and, and, uh, I just remember like, man, why am I crying? But I think just the emotion of, wow, I can't believe I'm actually here. I'm doing this with my friends and we're, we're going to be on top of the top of Africa, you know, in a few hours. Cause I wasn't going to quit, you know, yeah. it hurt, but I was, you know, it's going to keep going and just the emotion of it just kind of hit me. And it's, it's, like I said, it's kind of hard to describe Rob. Well, I, I get it though. I do, I do get it, Carl. Cause like I, I was uh, back in September, a couple of friends of mine, we went to uh, the Grand Canyon and mm. we, we took a hike down there and I had dropped my phone. I told the story to somebody before, but I dropped my phone. It broke the day we get there and I want to take all these pictures and I can't take the pictures. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, okay, God wants me to see the Canyon through the lens of my eyes, not the lens of my phone. And I remember you know doing the hike without my phone and camera and all that. And I go down and we hike down seven and a half miles. We hike back up seven and a half miles. And I remember uh, my buddy said, to me he goes rob you know what did you get out of that that climb that hike and carl i i broke down and got emotional mm -hmm. and and i'm like it, like you said it's hard to explain but yeah. i said this and this might sound crazy for the folks listening but it, I, was, I, was, I was like if, if this is just a little bit of what heaven's like i can't yeah. wait to die right because i can't yeah. wait to see all that right and man i'm so glad you shared that because sometimes we get so attached to our devices and we just don't know how to unplug anymore like Cell phones have only been around, you know, what, 20 years or a little bit more than that. But, you know, it's, it's only become commonplace in the last 15, 20 years. And, man, we just have a hard time detaching. And I think sometimes when we just detach and we just listen to nature, we listen to creation, we listen to the voice of God intentionally. Like, there's, it's, it doesn't take much to get me kind of emotional, <laughs> Rob. So, <laughs> I, you know, but, but, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what we've lost in society. I think it's really, really good to be intentionally just unplugging and just getting out in nature. And, anyway, I, I love being outside and experiencing those types that's of good stuff I, I and this wasn't yeah obviously this wasn't planned this kind of this part of the conversation but it's all about blessings and and that is a blessing yes. you were blessed i yes. was blessed it's all yep. about the blessing so carl yeah. when he carl was very young and he, he had an incident that occurred and it was it was it was a tough thing that he went through and i, I wanted to share a little bit because i think a lot of blessings 
came yep. from that, and it was a very early age. How old were you? At Clark yeah, Park? so so I grew up. I grew up on. I, I'm the firstborn of five children. I grew up on a dairy farm, and uh, and I was born in Augusta County, Virginia. And uh, my my actually my I kind of come from a Amish Mennonite background. My my grandfather on both my mom and my dad's side were Amish. In fact, wow, my I didn't grandmother. Know and my great. grandfather on my mom's side, he was an Amish blacksmith. And when he was, uh, when my mom was six years old, he, he'd been re reading the scriptures and he, he was very convinced that you could have assurance that you, you, you could have assurance of salvation. And, and the Amish believe that you do the best you can. And he got into a spat with his bishop and said, uh, you know, I, I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. And the bishop was like, no, you hope you're going to go to heaven. And throughout all that, my grandfather left the Amish church and he, got into the Mennonite culture. My parents met through that culture, and, and I actually was born in, in that culture in, uh, in Storch Draft, uh, Virginia. So dairy farm, hard work. My dad had an eighth grade education, you know, but he knew, how to, he knew how to farm, you know, that's what he grew up on. And so here I am working on the farm and my, not working on, living on the farm, as a, and I was two years old, Rob, and uh, my dad and grandfather were working on this uh, this uh, lime spreader machine. They had it pulled in, tractor was pulled into the shop. And so in the rear of this machine was all these chain and sprocket reducer gears. And I'm playing around outside the yard and I get over to the machine and I'm just playing around back there and they all the chain and sprocket gears reduced. And I don't remember how this happened, but I ended up having my hands on these chain mechanisms and they had just put this machine back together and they cranked it up and both of my hands got caught in the, these uh, chain and sprocket reducer gears. And uh, I, it chewed the fingers right off my right hand. I do have mm. my thumb, got my thumb on my right hand, but I lost the four fingers. I have a little stub on my right hand. Thank God I still have my left hand. Yeah. My left fingers were pinched really badly, but I'm fully restored. No issues on my left hand. But uh, my right hand was uh, had four fingers amputated at, at two years old, two and a half years old. Wow. So, so now you're two years old and, and – like, like some people say, well, you really don't know what you don't know. Two years old, that's that's pretty traumatic. Yeah. Uh, did, like, did you carry that with you for a while? You know, I think humans are so – young kids are so resilient, and they can, they can just bounce back and overcome everything. So literally, it, it was all I knew, right? I mean, I was in the hospital for, for a few months and uh, – a few weeks, I should say, and, you know, skin grafts and physical therapy and, you know, in bandages for the next six months. But – and I, I remember parts of this. I remember as a two and a half, three year old, you know, two and a half year old kid, just, you know, having these, having to soak my hand, doing these bandage wraps and all this stuff. But I really don't remember pain. And I don't remember, uh, I just don't remember like having to struggle with that because your body just adapts. And long story short, fast forward two years, my hand's fully healed. I'm a five year old kid, you know, everything's good. And then my family moved to Campbell County, Virginia, just south of Lynchburg, where I live now. And, uh, and my dad bought a farm down there. And, um, you know, I grew up, I grew up working on the farm, man. I mean, I grew up feeding the calves at six 30 in the morning before I went to school, you know, as a first and second grader, you know, that's just what you did. You, you, you worked on the farm. So, <laughs> so looking back, man, I mean, I, I'll say this, I hated farm life and it wasn't that I despised the, um, the work. I didn't mind working hard. I just didn't enjoy working with animals. I didn't really enjoy the farm life. My dad and I were always spatting. It seemed like in my teen years. And so when I was 16, I'd got into construction world. But, uh, but back to your question, no, I don't think it really slowed me down too much because your body learns how to adapt. I mean, I, I see these soldiers coming back from war, missing a leg or missing limbs, and I'm in, I'm in awe of them because they were used to having that limb be a functioning part of their body. But for me, it, it's all I know. And, and like I said, my little thumb, man, you know, you learn how to adapt and, and get around pretty quick, and, and it didn't really slow me down too much. That's awesome to hear. Um, yeah, so then you, you, we were talking about, like, so 
in an earlier conversation going through all this, the, the trauma of it all, but, but yeah. you, you being this tough guy and, and, and I, I don't mean tough guy in an ego sense. You just a right. tough, resilient guy. And yeah. you had said to me, there's nothing I can't overcome. Or there's nothing human beings can't overcome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, you, you and I, we've heard speakers that are missing more limbs than four fingers, you know, just how yeah, incredible they are and, and the way they can inspire people. And I, and I, so when I was a teenager, though, I really struggled. I was really, because you don't, you, you know, you, you are who you are, right? You just learn how to grow. But then I think a 12 year old kid, about the time I start to hit puberty, they come more, become more self aware. And I remember in fifth grade, it was the first time I kind of really, sort of struggle with my identity a little bit because you know these other kids were you know fifth graders can be kind of cruel sometimes and and you know i remember you know kind of being a little bit of a being made fun of and it just hit me like for the first time and all of a sudden you, every teenager goes through this anyway right whether it's acne or all of a sudden their ears are too big or, or whatever the case may be curly and, hair uh, frizzy hair <laughs> yeah absolutely oh god yeah i mean guys go through it again girls are it's even worse right so yeah so so i, I remember hitting those those teenage years and just being incredibly insecure and if you'd met me back then rob you wouldn't I'm a different guy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't talk to people. I kept my hands in my pockets. I was really embarrassed about, mm -hmm. you know, this deformity that I had this, this, uh, you know, no fault of my own, but it was just something I, I lived with. And I was very, very shy. I remember going through driver's ed in, in Virginia and I was 15 <laughs> and I'm taking driver's ed and the teacher made us all go outside and we had to change a tire. And I remember <laughs> trying to change a tire with one. Now, when I'm using both my hands, it's no problem, man. Oops, my, my thumb is sorry. My my mic dropped there. Uh, my thumb is, uh, you know, I can I can do tools. I mean, shoot, I worked up on a farm, growing up, you know, fixing things all the time. But I I was just so embarrassed about letting kids see my hand that I I was trying to change this tire one-handed, which may, of course made things even more awkward. You know. <laughs> so, it's, but, it's all good there, right? I thought you said you give me a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, I was so embarrassed, man. But you know it's what happened? Good. So here's here's what happened. So when I was uh, and, and I, I grew up in a family of faith, so uh, and, and that's know, what I, I wanted to get into because you had said yeah. something to me about that, and and I was going to ask you, have, have you always had? Were you always this guy that was blessed, blessed, blessed? Or was there something that happened that said yeah. you made you start thinking that way? Well, so so yeah, the answer is I was blessed. I just didn't realize it, right? I mean, I had okay. two parents who loved me. I mean, they did the best they could for me, and you know, and again, my parents have shortcomings, but oh my gosh, they they truly loved me. They loved Jesus, and they loved me, you know. And and there was never any doubt that my my parents loved. In fact, my dad, you know, I just so much respect for him because uh, you know, you think about it as a father going through seeing your two year old son, you know, have have his fingers chewed off in a farm accident because you weren't paying attention and looking, you know, before you cranked up a machine. You know, can you imagine that just the guilt and the, uh, you know, just the pain that went with that, right? So my dad had to work through a lot of trauma, you know, just 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 as a young dad, because I mean, I, I was he was 20 years old when I was born, so he here he is, this 23 year old, 22 wow. year old guy, you know. So yeah. just you know, just you know, so I, I didn't understand that part of the story until I became a father myself and talking to my dad years later about you know just how traumatic that was for him. But uh, but but fast forward to when I was 16, and and I you know my dad and I we were we were we were button heads all the time, but. He, he took us, all of us, our family to, to a speaker. We went to this uh, kind of this conference, this spiritual conference, and the speaker there was talking about things in your life and how, you know, God allows circumstances and things in your life to shape you. And, 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 and there's every single person has something in their life that that's unchangeable. Actually, there's a whole pile of things that we have in our lives that are unchangeable. And so in speaking to youth group, you know, what I was a youth was, you know, you can't change how many siblings you have or, or who they are. You know, you can't change the fact if you were born, born, born a male or female, you can't change your height or the color of your eyes. You can't change, you know, any physical defects that you're dealing with or handicaps. And of course that was the one that hit me like a ton of bricks. 
and you know you can't change who your parents are or the country you were born into so just all these things right that that are just unchangeables in your lives and it says unchangeable that can be Carl, you got you got to repeat that you blanked out for a second go ahead where did i I cut off that something about the unchangeables i think you said all right so the unchangeables like every one of us have unchangeables in our life right so we have you know whether the things that we can't change, like what country you were born into, how many siblings you have, right. your your height, your eye color, all this stuff, right? So the very thing that are unchangeable, those are the things that you might be most embarrassed about or that's a pain point for you. But those are the very things that can be a blessing and an inspiration to others. If you will just let God take those unchangeables and, and embrace them and just accept them for who you are because they God allowed those unchangeables in your life for a reason. And so those are the things that can inspire others and bless others. So it's about accepting those unchangeables. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he, I mean, I just remember like he just encouraged everybody to thank God for the very things that are unchangeable that, that you don't like about yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so in that, cause we were talking and we were talking about that and you said something you alluded to, and I think you blanked out a little bit, but it was like, you said something about out of, out of your biggest pain points comes yeah. what? Out of your biggest pain points, you know, or embarrassments in your life comes, comes the inspiration for others or comes the very story that will inspire or will bless others. And so why do, why do you think, and I know it might be common sense to some people, why do you think people can't see that because they're, they're, they're just so sucked into the woe is me or why me instead of saying, how can I use this to be an inspiration to others? Yeah, well, man, Rob, that, you know, it's a good question, but here's the thing, you know, if, I mean, I'm a man of faith. I know you are as well. And there's a scripture that says that the enemy seeks to, to destroy, right? And so if, 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 if the enemy, you know, whether, you know, Satan, the devil just gets in there and just, you know, wants to destroy people, right? He's an enemy of God and he's going to destroy the very people that God loves with self-doubt and all of that stuff. So I think that's a part of it. I think there is a spiritual warfare going on. But I think that, um, man, I, I just want, it's a good question. I think that if, if we can open up our eyes and just seek higher learning and seek truth and just seek, you know, what God wants in, of our lives, but then also just lean into just the all the wealth of knowledge and science. I mean, you talk about being blessed. I mean, how cool is it that we can read, you know, yeah, how cool is it right. that we have the ability to read and take in information and learn and grow and get better every single month and every single year. So I think that just reading books and just kind of taking in wisdom and having mentors that can speak truth into my life, you know, all were things that helped me. And I, so I don't know people that hold on to that stuff. You know, I think, it, I think there's a sense of pride, man. You know, it's, it takes humility to sort of, humble yourself enough to open your mind to be thankful for the very things that, you know, that cause pain in your life. Well, and I think it's also an, like, I don't want to say an obligation, an opportunity for somebody like you or me to be mentors for other people, to help them see right. how they can, how that stuff could be a blessing. And, and you've had experience going to some camps and hanging out with kids for yeah. several years, right? Yeah, I did. So when I was uh, when I was uh, 18 and again, you know, like I said, faith was a big part of the family I grew up in. And there was a speaker that came to our church and he was talking about how we're all called to go. We're all called to to go into the world and, and speak truth. Right. So and he said, you know, the reality is, if you're asking, if you've got an opportunity to go somewhere and you're saying that you don't you're waiting for God to tell you to go, he says, forget that. Just go. You know, because <laughs> he's already he's already said go. He says go into the nations. Right. So I had the opportunity to work at a, uh, a camp in um Northwestern Ontario, and this was with the First Nations, you know, tribal people, the First Nations groups. 
And man, Rob, I went up there in the summer of 1994 and my eyes were open because we did this long float flight, float plane flight up to this little island, this little reservation. I mean, we were, we literally, we drove to where the road ended, got on a dock, this float plane landed, picked us up and we flew like two and a half hours up to Big Trout Lake, Ontario. Look it up on the map. It is way up there. Uh -huh. And uh, we, we landed on this island. We were working with this pastor with these kids, uh, and they were doing like this uh, summer Bible school, and we were we were selling uh, Bibles and Christian books and stuff. So we're up there, man. And uh, my eyes were open to just a different mindset because these kids, these these First Nations kids, 12, 13 years old, suicide is rampant up there. And what happens is these kids will, will get made fun of or they'll run into a hardship in their life and they'll take their own life. And they, then they observe, the, the friends of this kid are, will observe the whole village coming together for three days, just mourning these kids. And all they say is how, what a great kid this was. And it's like they get attention after they are dead. And so there's mm. just this culture and, and suicide is just rampant. And I remember playing with these kids. We were out. I don't know, we were playing baseball or something with these kids. And of course they were fascinated by my hand, right? And I'm holding the bat with my thumb and I'm, oh, and I would play, I would play baseball and I'd hold a glove in my left hand, but then I'd rip my glove off and throw, throw left-handed, you know, when I was throwing the ball. And uh, of course it was a conversation starter for these kids and they all wanted to touch my hand and I would pinch them really hard because I've got a really strong thumb, you know, and they just loved it. I called it my lobster claw, you know, and they just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And, uh, and, and I would never forget it, man. There was this like 13 year old boy and he was just, we just kind of had a little conversation, man. And he's like, he's like, Carl, he's like, why didn't you just commit suicide when people made fun of you? He asked me, did people make fun of you? I said, yeah. He's like, why didn't you just go commit suicide? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, well, because God loves me, man. And God has a plan for me. And, you know, and you know what he said, and I told him this too, I said, you know, the things you don't like about you. God can take those and, and make you an inspiration too, man. And, and I just remember like just sort of hitting me like, oh my gosh, like here's this culture where these kids are taking their own lives when, when they run into hardship. And I mean, again, how blessed am I that I'm around this teaching and this growth and just this spiritual part of life where I can see past that, right? Because those kids didn't have that, man. No, they didn't, but you, you gave it to them. In yeah. that moment, you gave it to me. It, it goes back to your quote, you know, and with your your out of your biggest pain points become can become your biggest inspirations. Right. And and for a kid or a group of kids or youngsters that are thinking that way, and it's the norm, you, mm -hmm. you know, you get made up, make fun of, or you struggle, and you, you go do that, and you sit there and you say, "Well, look, man, I didn't do that, and this is what you need to do." And yeah. as you kids, what you can be. And I just think that's, I mean, I got a little choked up when you're telling that story and yeah. it's just amazing that, you know, so it's like out of your action or your trauma, you became an inspiration. Something you might've saved that kid's life for all we know. Yeah. Never know. I mean, never, never talked to him again. I was up there for a week and, you know, and, and, and gone. So, but you know, I, so I did that four summers row. I worked up there and the, with the first nations kids, summer camps and just different Bible schools and stuff. And it was so much fun, but you know that you're right, Rob, you get to know these kids just for, you just getting to know them, you know, day five and then day six, they're going home again, right back into some very challenging situations, you know, and, uh, and that kind of inspired me to work at a year round boys camp school in South Carolina, where these were kids were having, uh, trouble with home and school and the whole goal is get them home so they can be successful with their parents and so you know here i'm at this point probably 22 years old and you know i'm hoping to be this inspiration of man i tell you i learned so much man i learned that i was the one who needed to be <laughs> at, a, at a at a year-round camp and those were some of the hardest work <laughs> i ever did in my life man we were we literally lived in the woods five days a week and i got off 48 hours and then we were back in there again but i mean we would we would start with the most basic of things 
there's a right way to do things, there's a wrong way of doing things. And we would start with just sweeping out the tents in the morning and hey, stacking your shoes, tallest to shortest. And, you know, we had two rules at camp. Everything we do, we do as a group. And everything we do, we do with a good attitude. And so when a kid had a bad attitude or was acting up, the whole group would stop. And we would stop and we would, we would evaluate. We would identify the problem. We'd come up with a solution and then we'd execute on it. And the whole mantra of camp was you planned, you set goals, you executed, and then you evaluated at the end of the day. And we would start our six-week sessions that way. We'd start our weeks that way. We'd start a day that day. So we were constantly setting a goal, executing, evaluating. And it was there that I started to learn the power of a written goal. That's amazing. That's amazing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But I like what you said because, yeah, this this podcast is chiseled. It's all because we're a work in progress. It's all about us getting better as people. But And it's not really – you could say it's not a business po- uh, podcast. But in a sense, what you said there, we do everything as a group. And we do everything with a good attitude. That's, I mean, you take that into the corporate world. You take that as an entrepreneur and your your business and whatnot. We do everything as a group. And we do everything as a good attitude. And when I like what you said. If somebody had a bad attitude or something happened, you stopped. Yep. And evaluated that. Man, I I, mean, I just learned something from you just now, just from that. Yeah. And, that, and you just blessed me. Well. <laughs> I'll tell you, camp is hard. It's the toughest two, th- two years of my life. And then I was volunteering as it's all, you know, it was funny. They had to pay us minimum wage, but the agreement was you would turn to give all your check back except for like 200 bucks to kind of, I mean, we had food, shelter, clothing, right? So uh, <laughs> we had this little uh, house that all of us counselors, they call us chiefs, lived in, you know, on our weekends. And we had some great times, but I was broke as a rope, man. But, uh, but those are some of the best two years of my life. And I, honestly, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned about that, you know, it's not the leader that makes everything happen. It's the group, man, you know. And so the reason camp worked is because as those kids were getting ready to graduate, they were helping the, the, the new kids come in and just learning the culture and learning what it takes. And then when a, when, a, when, a, when a group member would step up and be that leader and he was being the influence, then he was ready to go home. And, and, and that camp in South Carolina had the highest success rate of any facility, you know, for trouble kids in all of the whole state of South Carolina. And it, they still, they're still going today. And it's, it's just an amazing organization. Fair Play Wilderness Boys Camp School, if you want to check it out. So, yeah. What's the name of it again? So it's based out of Westminster, South Carolina. It's called Fair Play. That was the name of the town where it originated Fair Play Wilderness Boys Camp School. There you go. Well, yeah. so Carl, in those years, you did work at the camps. How many kids or youngsters would you say you were connected with? Oh, my gosh. I, hundreds i don't know like like the summer camps would be hundreds but again it's it's a very brief window they're there for a week and they're gone again uh and then the boys camp school year round we never had more than 10 kids in our group but uh i probably was a chief to maybe 18 kids in the two uh-huh. years i was there maybe 20 18 to 20 kids i still stay in touch with some of them actually do you really that's yeah. and, and why that why is that you know, uh, yeah, it's so funny. I got to meet one of my guys, one of my former campers. I say one of my guys, one of my former campers. He came down to, he was in Virginia uh, between Christmas and New Year's. He lives in New York City. And uh, man, we just had a great talk. He said, man, camp saved my life. You have no idea. Camp saved my life. It, if it wouldn't have been for camp, I would definitely be in jail and I'd probably be dead. Mm. That's a powerful statement, Carl, because that's just one guy. Yeah. And you connected, you were connected with, you said hundreds of guys and 18 more, more, I guess, intimately in some sense of the word there. Yeah. And if you saved one guy, maybe you saved a lot more. Maybe you blessed two, three, 400 kids. And in the process, you were blessed as well. Is that right? Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. Oh, I learned and grew so much. You know, camp makes everyone better. And I, that's why I just I have such a heart for camp ministries because, you know, these kids get into the an environment. Like we talked about earlier, Rob, it's like when you get away from your cell phone, right, and just get out in nature, 
you know, camp is one of those things that takes people out of their comfort zone. You get to a different environment. You, you become open to learn or learn in a different way and hear things in a different way. And uh, yeah, so so now, you know, fast forward, here we are 20 years later and, uh, you know, we get into the mundane and the helping people and serving people. But I try to keep that same that same mentality. Look, man, you know, we, we've been blessed with so much. And how can I how can I bless others? How can I help? You know, we're in the we're in the real estate world. How can we help our clients just make a good, informed decision? So that there's no regrets six months from now, you know, or so that they they could say with confidence, look, you know, we, we, we did the best we could with what we had and uh, and we overcame the challenge. I think I think going through what I grew through, went through growing up on the farm, you know, is that whenever there's a challenge or there's a more difficult way of doing things, you know, because if you don't have four fingers on your hand and you got to pull a lever a certain way or use a certain tool you adapt and you just figure out a way to overcome the challenges. And I think sometimes in my world now, helping buyers and sellers get to the finish line, you know, you, you find ways to think creatively and to overcome the obstacles in, in ways that, uh, cause this isn't the first time I've had to overcome an obstacle, right? So, okay, right. let's figure out, let's go, let's get through this, you know? So I think that, uh, you know, the life experiences I had as a kid, you know, probably has made me a stronger person, a more creative person. And it certainly has made me more determined and more, uh, just more tenacious in getting things done. Yeah, because I we, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, Carl's got a very successful business. He ha, he's a he's a radio show host. He's got a he's got his own brokerage. He does very well in Lynchburg, Virginia. And, and uh, if anybody's looking to go down there, you want to look this guy up because he's not just a great person. He's a great businessman, and he's just a, a salt of the earth type of guy. And and he had this grand opening a couple of years ago, and uh, myself and uh, I guess seven eight other guys we, we know Carl from throughout the country. We uh, went down to support him and, and watch him open up this thing. So that was a huge huge thing for him because we'll go to touch on that. It's like you talked about you learned about setting goals and you set a goal to open up your own brokerage, right? Yeah, I did. I did. You know, and it's funny. I wrote a goal down and I actually kind of forgot I wrote it down. And uh, as I was going through some old workbooks right before we had that grand opening, man, I, I found a book I'd written. So I opened up that brokerage in 2020 and I found a goal I'd written in 2015 and it said in five years, 2020, open up a brokerage and I kind of forgot it was even there, Rob. And I was yeah. like, Oh my gosh, like here. And we, you know, this was all planned. It was all coming together. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know? So yeah. So setting goals, right. I mean, that's something that you know, you're a goal setter. I, I tend to do that. And sometimes I forget, I write them down and I don't keep them in front of me. Like I, like some people do, but uh, I am a big person about thinking about what do I want to do next. And then just putting up a vision board, putting up something in writing. And if I have it in front of me, it's going to happen. And, and that's that's that determination that just came out of Carl. Like he said, if I haven't written down, it's going to happen. And, and, and <laughs> if so I keep it in front of me. If I keep it in front of me, I don't. I forgot all my goals done. But you know, if I if I write it down, keep it in front of me, and deciding what to. You know, I think a big part of goal setting, Rob, is just sort of deciding. It, it's it's like once you make up your mind and you decide you're going to do it, then then it gets done. But but a lot of it is just the mental. We 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 like. I, it's so funny. I just had dinner with my wife tonight, and we were talking about. Uh, there's a race that I'd like to do. It's, it's a tough one. It's called the uh, mountain Ma I'm sorry. It's called the Hellgate 100. It's a 100 K race. It's called the Hellgate 100. It's here in Virginia. And uh, it, it's a tough race. It starts at midnight on a Friday night, the second weekend of December. And the weather can be just awful. The second hot. weekend in December, you said? Yeah. Yeah. And it starts oh at God. midnight. So, you know, that's all, those are long nights, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of, a lot of friends. Who did it. And I told my wife, so I told my wife, I said, I'd like to say that I've done it. But I don't want to put the work in. 
<laughs> but I said someday, someday I'm gonna I'm gonna just do it. But I know when I do this, I, I'm gonna be training like crazy because this is not something you just wake up and do. You've got to put a lot of work into it. So I, I think I I say that story just simply say a lot of times about goal setting is you really just got to make up your mind because when you made up your mind, then it becomes easy. If you're if you're on a diet and trying to lose 20 pounds, and the, and the waiter comes around asking if you'd like some ice cream or like dessert, no, you've already made up your mind. You just ate your salad or your tuna or whatever your healthy food. No, the answer is no. You're not going to take any sugar drinks. You're not going to eat dessert, right? Because you've made up your mind. And uh, and I think that that's a big part of just having that mindset. But uh, once you once you have that mindset, it helps to hit the goal. You, you yeah, got to be committed to it. It was okay. So you, that was my next thing there because yeah, Brian Brian Buffini, one of the guys, like the coaching company, that our I mentor, my, yeah, our mentor, were part of. You know, he's got a he's got a podcast himself, and he did one. It's called the Power of the Made Up Mind. Oh, it was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, you made me think of that, but but you also said, and, and I would encourage anybody to listen to that. So it's Brian Buffini, uh, it's a Good Life podcast, and the power of the made up mind. So I would I highly encourage people to listen to that. But making up your mind is that's the decision piece. I, I made up my mind to do this, right? And then then you said the next word, commit. So you you got to make the decision, and then you got to commit to it because a lot of people might decide to do something, but they didn't make the commitment, and that's where yeah. that power, that made up mind, is. Like I made up my mind to do it. But am yep. I going to commit to doing it? And uh, and that takes me to the P90X thing. If anybody's familiar with that, their their mantra was decide, commit, succeed. So mm -hmm. that that's a formula: decide, commit, and succeed. You know, and it's the same thing in business, Rob. I mean, you know what you just said there. It's it's the same thing as having an appointment. You know, if you've got a if you've got an appointment with, uh, you know, let's say you're trying to get into a specialist for a doctor's appointment, and finally they can get you in at three o'clock on Tuesday, and it's forty five days away. Right. You're going to be there at three o'clock on Tuesday, 45 days later. So you've you've made up your mind. You're going to that. And I think that the same thing is so true for us as self-employed people, because it's so easy to put a block out in your calendar, but then just to blow it off. Right. OK, I'm going to do the hard thing and make 20 phone calls to people I haven't talked to in a long time between two o'clock and four o'clock. And it's for me, it's really, really easy not to commit to that. Right. So two o'clock comes around and it's like, oh, well, I've got an opportunity to go have lunch with one of my friends I haven't seen in a while or whatever. So you, you've got to really commit to doing the thing, whatever it is, and, and, and just committing to it. Right. And I think that that's a big part of it. you just show up and then not just show up, but then you, you're efficient with the goals and with the appointments and the calendar that you have. And I think as business owners, it's really, really easy sometimes to not do the hard things, but if you're going to run a successful business, you got to commit to doing the things that aren't fun to do. And through those hard things, I would think, I think you would agree with me. Many blessings come, man. That is so true. Um, yeah. That's where the rewards come, man. You know? Yeah. That's And so, and we do, but the question is when we're about to do that hard work or when people are about to do that hard work and they don't want to do it, can they see the blessings in advance? Mm. And, mm -hmm. and I think if more people could sit there and reflect a little bit and think about the blessings in advance, that might be more of an inspiration to say, let's go commit to do this thing. Let's go, let's go, let's yeah. go. And I'm guilty, by the way. I'm guilty oh, yeah. as anybody. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's why you see, I mean, because I mean, you're a sports guy. I love sports as well. But you see athletes get incredibly emotional sometimes after they win the championship, you know, and they've put in all the hard work. But, man, what people don't see, all they see is the is the winning and the, 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 the goal that wins the championship, right? or the block that stops the opposing team from winning the championships and the emotion that comes out of that. But, man, the emotion comes from the – hours and hours and hours and hours of grind that happened to get them to that point. Like nobody is at that level on national TV without 
incredible amounts of practice. And that's, yeah. the, that's the stuff nobody sees. And, uh, you know, and so people don't become successful or get where they are in life in a place that others are envious of them by accident, you know. Yeah, I time. agree with There's you. A lot of work that goes in that nobody sees, and the people just keep showing up. You just keep showing up. So I'm going to ask you this question, Carl. The, um, you know, there's a lot of people that you know that have blessed you in your life, correct? Oh my gosh, y'all, oh my gosh, yes. Do you have any idea how many people you've been a blessing to? No, I don't. I guess I haven't thought about that, Rob. It's a great question. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's so funny you say that because I, I, I'm always trying to learn and grow from others, you know. But, but you're right. I'm, I'm 46 years old now, and I'm becoming more aware of the opportunities to inspire others. And, uh, man, it's so funny. I was just, I was just in church two weeks ago, right? And I ran into a guy. I haven't seen him in a long time. We used to run together. He's, he's got a corporate job, and you know, kids. You know how it is. You know, we, yeah. get, we get separated a little bit. But I hadn't seen him in like two, three years. And we just had this great conversation about a, a podcast uh, that we both listened to, and we just started like rattling off all these cool things and. And, and, you know, it's so funny because he's like, man, you recommended a book a long time ago that, uh, that, you know, I read and I, you know, man, I never really thanked you for it. It was a book that's called, uh, uh, the slight edge by Jeff Olson. And he wrote a book and, you know, he wrote a book about just daily choices. Right. And, um, so, you know, it's so funny. You, you kind of do these things in passing and you kind of live on your life and you're probably right. Cause I mean, there's people that bless me that probably have no idea they blessed me. So Rob, that's a good question. Yeah, so it's it's and it's not really our business to know how many people we bless. It's not an ego thing, but I think it, in knowing that we are blessing people, that inspires us to keep going. That inspires us to keep getting better and being better. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's also just a good reminder about the times when you're not in a good mood, or you you know, or you're making bad choices. Just how much of a burden you can your life can be to others too, right? You know, I mean, yeah. So I mean, we all have people in our lives that that just aren't good for us. Right. So it's just a matter of, I think you and I were talking the other day about how I don't take uh, financial advice from my family because or at least some of my extended <laughs> family, because there's just a negative mindset there about people who have means and who have money. And uh, it's just ingrained in their culture and their mindset and they're never going to change. And that's okay. I just don't hang out with them and I don't ask them money advice. But Carl's the guy that gives the money advice because he can. <laughs> hey, Carl, well, so I, I, I do got to ask this question. So you're, is your father still alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. So do you, and have you guys ever, like, gone back and talked about this thing? Oh, happened? yeah. Yeah, we have. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I think probably we've had some breakthroughs in our relationship. Like I told you, we, we, I, I, we really butted heads a lot. And uh, after I got out of the uh, camp as a young adult uh, that I worked at in South Carolina, I was probably 20, been 23 or 24 years old with that canoe trip together up in the boundary waters of uh, Minnesota and my two youngest brothers, my dad and I. And uh, we had some great talks out there, out in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, I learned that I'd always thought when this act, when this incident happened that, uh, you know, my dad had no idea I was outside what well, he knew. He, he'd kind of seen me playing around in the yard and he just carried that guilt. Like if I had just walked around to the back, just made sure that, you know, my son wasn't in the shop. Right. So all these regrets. And, and I heard, learned about a conversation that, uh, my, my dad had with my mom. I was, was in the hospital, you know, and this happened over Christmas of 1979. So it's Christmas season, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he told my mom, I will never forgive myself for what I did. And, you know, you think about just carrying the burden of that, you know, again, as a young adult, I mean, he was, like I said, 20, you know, low twenties. And so I just got gained a new appreciation of, of the trauma, you know, that my, and it made a lot of sense, you know, if my dad kind of carried that for years and decades and 
I hope he knows that, you know, he totally is forgiven and God's forgiven him and he can forgive himself. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how I think he just had a hard time just accepting himself and then accepting me for that. And so it, it was not that long ago. He told me, he says, man, I just want to let you know, Carl, I'm really proud of you. And he had, he had never told me that before. Right. So, so I, I take a lot of uh, solace in the fact that, you know, my dad is this rock of a guy and, uh, but he's still learning. He's still growing. He's still a humble guy. And he's just, uh, and it just gives me inspiration that, my dad in his 60s now, you know, is still learning and growing. And, and it's just an inspiration because, you know, we can learn and grow whether we're 30 years old, 60 years old, 80 years old. Right. You never stop getting better if you choose not to. Right. There's always things you can learn and get better at. That's awesome. And they, uh, you know, you said you talk about your dad saying he's proud of you. And like you said, he's, I hope he I hope he knows he's forgiven. I mean, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Like, have you I mean, you didn't. I, I, I may I might be out of line saying this, but you didn't. Have you ever seen Dad? I forgive you. Not that you needed to. I mean, because it wasn't like, yeah, did it on purpose. But but like, because I was going to say, because if he doesn't know, we're going to send him his podcast, and he's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's he's a good man. You know, we almost lost him during COVID. He was in the hospital for three weeks. It was a really scary time at the end of 2020. And thank God he came back. He's you know he's fine now. He's he's still driving truck and he's uh, he's doing well. So. That's I, awesome. I should, probably, should probably see him more often. You know, it's one of those things you take you take a relationship for granted sometimes. Well, we do, we do. But um, when he said he was proud of you, when mm-hmm. he said he was proud of you, in that moment, have you ever thought about the fact that he says I'm proud of you? He saw you as a blessing to him. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, it's interesting. We kind of learn from sometimes the mistakes of our older generation. So I'll give you another quick dad story. One of the things my dad was really modeled, really modeled for me was when he was wrong and he would just lose his top, you know, whatever. He would yell at the kids, whatever. When he calmed down, he would come back and he would say, I'm sorry. You know, he would apologize. He was really quick to if he made a mistake and he would own it. Right. And that's something that I learned from my dad. And so one of the things that as I work with these boys, right, I, I, there was a lot of missing dads, a lot of missing relationships. And and I just remember that like when I had my son, my son is 16 now. You know, I just said, look, my son's going to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you, you know, every day. <laughs> and I mean, so, I mean, when he was a boy, I mean, I would tuck him in bed. I was like, Josh, just want to let you know, man, I love you and I'm proud of you. And and, yeah. and my daughter, the same thing, Audrey, I love you and I'm proud of you. You know, so I just, I just really was intentional about telling those kids that. And so, cause my dad didn't tell me that, but his dad never told him ever. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so my dad took those things that he was missing in his life. He modeled it. Now he did the best he could. Right. And right. the culture he was in and all that. And then here I am doing better. And man, I just hope my son and daughter are way better than me because I've got a lot of shortcomings when it comes to, uh, you know, to relationships. So, you know, I, but we all can get better, right? Every generation can get better. That's why we're all work in progress, right? <laughs> well, we're all getting chiseled, Rob. That's why I listen to your podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you. Well, look, go, going forward here, how much more chiseling's got got going on for you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> If you ask my wife, there's just there's just a little block, which is a few quarters, you know, rounded off a little bit, Rob. There's a lot of progress that is happening in the life of Carl Miller. I can tell you that. Well, the good news is it's, it's only four minutes before halftime for you. If 100 years is, is, is the time frame, right? So you got you got a second half to go, my that, friend. That, that's the goal, and I can't wait. You know, can you imagine, Rob, if we could go back to age 20, having the wisdom and the experiences in our minds that we have now, you know, in our 40s and 50s, just how much how much bigger of an impact we can make. So. I think it's important that you talked about mentorship, right? It's important that we, you know, do everything we can to the people that are ready uh-huh. to, to pass on the the wisdom that we've learned, just like, you know, Brian Buffini's done for us, just like the people in our life have done for you and I, 
you know, it's it's a good reminder. So it's been and good chatting you, with you, man, about this. Uh, you too. And you've passed a lot of wisdom on all of us today and the listeners here. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be grateful for this. So that said, if somebody wanted to get a hold of Carl Miller, how would they do that? Yeah, I tell you, uh, we've got we've got a company website, carlmillerrealty.com, carlmillerrealty.com. You can contact us there. You can also feel free to email me directly. It's Carl with a K, Carl at carlmillerteam.com, Carl at carlmillerteam.com. Carl, thank you so much for being on here today. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for blessing the listeners. And, and just understand and realize how much of a blessing you are to others and, and you've been to others and, and keep being that that guy you are and, and just keep sharing those blessings, my friend. I appreciate you so much. And, uh, and I'm honored to have you on here. Well, Rob, thank you. And thank you for writing the book you did too. I know you put hours and hours into that. I love your title better than you think. And every one of those chapters truly is a blessing. And, and thank you for all the effort you put in that. And I, I just sense as I read that book, man, God just kind of speaking through you and just sharing so much wisdom. And, and uh, thank you for uh, sharing the experiences and things you've learned with the world in that platform as well. Well, it means a lot to me, buddy. Thank you. And uh, you're awesome. I wish we, we, we could keep going on and on, I'm sure, but we, we got to call, call it a day here at some point. <laughs> Sounds good. All Sounds right, good. buddy. Well, look, until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. You just got chiseled with Rock and Stars. Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than Equal. 